Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode uh, 124, I believe. Well, it's near the end of the year, so it doesn't really matter. But the most important thing is Merry Christmas. Um, I've been a little bit uh, off in the um, recordings. Um, I have some time off, but... Uh, I needed to rest also. <clears throat> so um, I hope everyone has been praying for Pope Benedict. Um, he's been, he's very, very sick, very sick. Uh, they say this, um, he may not make it. He's got kidney failure. So the reason is because of his uh, old age. He's very frail, very thin. The good thing is that Pope Francis um, has been visiting him uh, at the monastery nearby, and um, and I heard a report that Pope Francis intends to give him a um, a papal a full papal funeral, which which is good. You know, there's a lot of uh, unfortunately there's a lot of division in the church, a lot of anger. Um, you know, there's a lot of angry, angry people because, um, let's face it. I mean, the, the devil's going around and he's dividing, uh, a lot of our people on one hand, you got people like Taylor Marshall, who has an idea of what the church should be. You know, he's, you know, um, in love with the Latin Mass. And the Latin Mass is great, but it's not let's be let's be honest. It's the Latin Mass was not said in the upper room. The Gospels don't tell us um if it was in Greek, Latin, it doesn't even say Hebrew or Aramaic. It most likely was a combination of Hebrew and Aramaic, right? I mean, our Lord's—that's the two main languages he should be speaking, you know, in in his land. And yes, he may have known a little uh, some uh, Greek, and he might have known a few words in Latin. I mean, in his divine nature, he could know anything he wants to know, and speak whatever language he wants to speak. He's God. But he put himself in a limited world. He put himself in our world where he chose to put limitations on himself like all like, as men in history. But in his divinity, he can know what he can know anything. But I think because um We could all have, I think, a some form of unhealthy nostalgia. We could all, I think, have an unhealthy form of nostalgia. And I think maybe it could be because it's the formation of our culture. It's also the result of sin, original sin. It's also the result of pride. 
right? And it's also a form of distraction. It's a form of distraction. One, because of certain people, their level of education, right? Someone like Taylor Marshall is an extremely smart man. He's smarter than me. I have to say that. He's a lot smarter than I am. He's studied, he's he's mainly in philosophy. He's not so much in theology as I understand it. But he knows his theology very well. He knows it a lot better than me. And he's very much into St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, You know, he has a St. Thomas Aquinas Institute. And... You know, he came from an Anglican background. He was an Anglican priest, an Anglican minister for some time. And then him and his wife converted to Catholicism. Now, maybe he had an idea in his head of what his Catholicism should be. Or what he thought his entrance into the Catholic Church should be. When I entered the Catholic Church, remember... I didn't come from a, a theological background. I didn't come from um, a, what you call, um, a, I wasn't even a devout Muslim. I wasn't even that. I came from a, a mixed marriage. Uh, I didn't come from a perfect home either. Most of my understanding of, of Christianity came from a Protestant uh, approach because the culture mainly was Protestant. And my exposure to Catholicism came from people. Even they weren't even perfect people. The first guy who I met was at a job, my, my job at a, at a cultural institution who was Italian-American of Sicilian background who claimed to be a priest worked as a security card at a museum. Uh, his knowledge of Catholicism was better than mine, I'm going to say. Now, I didn't know about all this division between, like, in, in the Catholic Church. I knew nothing about Vatican II. I knew nothing uh, about city uh, of contests, you know, those who believe the chair of Peter's empty. The man I met actually believed that. I didn't know what the heck that meant. I had no idea in the world what that meant. But guess what? It was this fellow in his basement in Brooklyn during Holy Week. He baptized me. Later on, as I started to, after that, after that incident, it wasn't even in a Catholic church it was in his basement. And yet I didn't understand what exactly what was going on. I didn't understand all the stuff. Um, I was a little troubled by some of the stuff he was saying. And that's because I wasn't properly catechized and I did not know. I started to learn everything about Catholicism after that baptism downstairs in his basement. I started reading. I started getting exposed to Scott Hahn. I started buying books. I started buying everything. It was a so-called Byzantine Malachite, supposed to be baptism, 
and I was baptized and confirmed, but I was not, I was a little troubled because one, one, I wasn't too sure because now I started questioning his position, which was not a bad thing to question things, to question everything is good. So I needed to know, how do I know I got really baptized if this guy belongs, belongs to this fringe sort of breakaway group? You have to understand my position. My position. I wasn't too sure. You see, I already got exposed. You see, I already got exposed to this fractured form of Catholicism. So I went forward, I found a priest, all right, and he decided to um, conditionally baptize me, and I got conditionally baptized. The confirmation took a little longer, and then eventually I, uh, you know, I got, I got, I got, you know, confer- uh, confirmation. So... Yeah, as the years gone by, the first thing you want to know is what does the Catholic Church teach us? Did I go through everything properly? Did I go through RCIA? No. You see, I just wanted in. I wanted to go in. I wanted to be a Catholic. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a legit Catholic. I even stopped receiving Holy Communion because I, out of my own conscience, because I didn't know if I was properly in, in, in integrated into the Catholic Church. I didn't, I wanted, you know, I wanted only to be a Catholic and I wanted it to be done properly. So, you know, you're getting a little bit more of the story. The, um, this is the part I, I often hold back telling because I'm not too proud of it. I'm not proud of it at all. But at the same time, if you realize when you see all the fracturedness of the whole thing and you realize what you got exposed to, and this is the danger of all this fracturedness, it can confuse people and turn people off from from converting. This whole thing with the SSPX, Cedric Cavantes. I mean, I know my line's terrible, but you know what I mean. Those who believe the chair is Peter's empty. And then uh, all this stuff about questioning, uh, um, getting angry with Pope Francis. And it's true. Pope Francis is, he's not a great Pope. He's not a great Pope. It's, un- it's unfortunate, but he's still, he's still the Pope, but he's not the Catholic Church either. He's the leader of the Catholic Church, but he's not the Catholic Church. Popes come and go. You know, I love John Paul II. Were things were, were there things that St. John Paul II could have done that was better? Yes. Obviously. Do I think do, do I understand everything in the time of Pope John Paul what he went through? No. Or were there were there obstacles in his way? Most definitely there were. Were there bad bishops, bad priests, bad cardinals that kept things from him? Most definitely they they were all there. Did many of them lie to him? Yes. 
Did Jesus have Judas? Most definitely he did. Did Judas lie? Most definitely he did. So, this shows you the human frailty of the situation. Now, the stuff that was going on, especially with someone like Taylor Marshall, who is obsessed with the Latin Mass, the Trinitine Mass, and you even have young young people like uh, Amber Rose, who is the uh, religious hippie, who has a thing for the Latin Mass. And I respect that. I do. I think it's great. And I know that Pope Benedict allowed more access to the Latin Mass. What I think happened was it was the failure of those people who love the Latin Mass from failing to represent Christ. You see, they talk about the Latin Mass, but they don't talk about Christ. All right? They don't talk about Christ. I'm being honest. They, you know, I sometimes question. I'm not saying Amber Rose, uh, religious hippie. I'm not questioning her faith, but I'm just saying is that remember to put Christ first. Put Jesus Christ first. All right. I think they put the the cart before the horse. And I'm not calling Christ a horse, but I'm saying is you sometimes do that. You're so desperate, you know, the grandeur, the beauty of the Latin Mass, but you forget the gospel. All right? You forget the gospel. The liturgy, you see, the problem is, look at, look at the problem we have. Michael Voris pointed this out. And not just Michael Voris, there was a Pew Research. How many people do not believe in the real presence? They took a big, big, it was, it was an overwhelmingly disturbing, disturbing result of the whole thing. I mean, it was like quite a large majority of people don't believe in the real presence. How many people actually even um, hold to the, that uh, same-sex marriage is a sin? Very few people, majority of people were all for it. All right? This is Catholics. This is talking about Catholics. And then there was the other, other, a whole bunch of other stuff. Other stuff like contraception, all the other stuff, abortion. Even the views of abortion were not that big among Catholics. It wasn't a big deal to them. So how do you, okay, how do you expect to bring the Latin mass back? All right. And first of all, I, I agree with Michael Voris. This is not about the Latin Mass. This problem began long before the Mass changed, long before the Novus Ordo came in. These people think that if you bring the Latin Mass back, everything else will be okay. No. It's like I, the first thing comes to my mind is what Jesus said about the scribes and Pharisees, about the Pharisees and everything. 
you 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 know outside you, your tomb looks nice your whitewashed sepulchers but inside you're filled with dead man bones all right this is the, the <laughs> this is what i'm saying it's like put it's like putting you know it's like a, a couple who pretend they look perfect in front of people and they look like they're they're they're, they're a happy couple but behind closed doors there's a lot of abuse and we all know from church militant research that all the stuff about gay men and 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 homosexuals and you know the the the, the all the all the stuff that's happening in the in the catholic church was long before 1962 came along long before the 1970s so this is the thing i'm trying to say don't don't think that if you put the latin mass on that it means the abuses are going to stop Nostalgia, from what I heard, I think it was it was it was J.R. Tolkien who said it, or maybe it was C.S. Lewis. Somebody said this. Nostalgia is a wonderful thing. It's wonderful. Maybe maybe it was I think Chesterton. It doesn't matter. But it can become pathological because it becomes to the point where you want something of the past, but you don't want to admit to the reality. And that's where the problem lies. Nostalgia is great. It's a wonderful thing. But you gotta have, you gotta be you gotta put it within proper reason and perspective. You gotta look at the facts. Nostalgia is not facts. You know, a woman said to to Ed to the to Ed Koch one day, I just want, you know, when he was Back in the in the late seventies, early eighties, he was running for mayor. I just want things to be to go back to where they used to. And his answer to her, they never were what you thought they used to be. All you remember is that they were good times for you. But that doesn't mean that they were really perfect. You just didn't see the problems that were already there. And that's the problem with a lot of people who who are, I think, and I'm not attacking the Latin mass itself. It's not the, the liturgy itself. The liturgy is great. The liturgy is fantastic. It's beautiful. All right? But it's, you have to look at the reality of the problem. There were things hidden that were not brought out to the light. They were, you know, what you know, what is whispered in the in in you know in in the shadows will be will be shouted out in the open on the rooftops. The Latin Mass, you know, it's liturgy, and it went through changes. It went through a lot of changes. Okay. Long before this, there was a persecuted church with a much more primitive, you could, I don't like to use the word primitive, 
but a much different liturgy that was probably closer to the upper room, maybe. And also, you got to remember, as it left Jerusalem, you got to remember the apostles, the apostles Saint, you know, Saint Peter, Saint Paul, Saint John the Evangelists, Saint James, Saint Mark, Saint Luke. They all went out and they all brought the gospel to different nations. Now you got also, what about the Coptic rite? What about the Ethiopian rite? What about the Chaldean rite? All right. The point is you have also, there was one time, at one time, there was a Jerusalem rite, which we probably would have called it the Hebrew light, the Hebrew rite. Now, our liturgy had, a, you know, it went through a lot of changes. It evolved, and as problems arose, like heretics came along, the liturgy developed in order to, 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 the main purpose of the liturgy was to proclaim the divinity of Jesus Christ, to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the whole point of the liturgy. In whatever language you're speaking it, whether it's it's in, in, in Hebrew, whether it's in Aramaic, whether it's in Chaldean, whether it's in Coptic, whether it's in Latin, whether it's in Greek, the whole point of the liturgy is Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. All right, and the and that is that is the whole center point of the liturgy. And I'm I'm not even a theologian. That's what I believe, and that's what I know I'm, I'm right about. You can correct me on other things. The liturgy is to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. The first part of the liturgy, we declare ourselves to be sinners, and we're in need of salvation. Okay? Then we say, then we go through the, uh, you know, we, you know we, we go through the Kiri. We need the mercy of God, the mercy of Christ, the mercy, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Kyrie Elysion, Kyrie Elysion, Kyrie Elysion, Christe Elysion, Christe Elysion, Christe Elysion, Kyrie Elysion, Kyrie Elysion, Kyrie Elysion. We're asking for mercy from the Father. We're asking mercy from the Son, the Christ, the Christ. And we're asking mercy from God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Then we go to the Gloria, depending on the appropriation of the, of the season. The Gloria is all from Scripture. Now, do I think the Novus Ordo is great? No. Do I think it's sometimes a hor is done horrible like a joke? Yes. Most definitely I do. Because a lot of priests are very careless. And that this result, this result of carelessness happened because they tried to be casual they tried to they tried they thought being casual and less demanding which i believe for uh, dr jordan peterson is correct about um demanding you know faith religion demands the best of people from from uh from people okay you have to demand conversion. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
That's that you have to demand that. And they want to hear it. And that's the thing. People need that. Our culture needs that. They need, you know, going to church, going to liturgy now. Unfortunately, a local parish is not, I mean, not a very transformative moment. When you step into church, unfortunately, <clears throat> um, the pastors don't, they don't try. They don't, they, you don't hear, you don't hear the gospel as it should be told. You don't hear call to conversion. They don't want to rock the boat. You know, my, you know, <clears throat> I don't walk away. I, you've heard me say this before in other podcasts. I don't walk away. Um, from my local parish with a lot of transformation. I don't, I mean, I, I know the God, I know my faith. My, my Sundays at, at, at church, at the local parish level is not, is not special. It's not special. I go to receive the sacrament. I go to, I go to, to, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times my thoughts are not as, as, um, focused I feel often disappointed I'm disappointed with the people around me I'm disappointed with the pastor with the with the priest with um a lot of people you know there's not there's not a, it's, it's not a uh a, a a special moment the people there they're all indifferent with each other they don't want to you know only a few people know each other and unfortunately I walk away uh, a lot of people don't even know who I am. You know, the Christian community, the Catholic community, unfortunately, is not not very warm. Catholics, unfortunately, in, uh, you know, if it's the city, it's not very warm. It's not very transformative. There's no men's group. Nobody comes and introduces themselves. I've gone through several parishes Several parishes in New York, in in here in New York, especially in Brooklyn. You know, I used to go to Saint Catherine of um, of Alexandria. Saint Catherine of Alexandria. Nobody ever bothered to get to know me. Nobody asked me my name. There's no community thing. You got the groups. You got the Italian groups. You got the Hispanic groups. You got the Chinese groups. It's a cultural center. Mainly, is it's all for for people because who who are in the culture but there's no actual catholic formation adult formation for 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 people who want to grow in their faith and get to know new people but also who you know who you know who want to grow in their faith there's none of that in there and that's and that and I think this is why and that the fault is the priest, the pastor, he doesn't want to get to know people. You know? 
I mean, at the local pasture, the one his strong points are all about the fact that it's the Italian Americans uh, groups. You know, you know, he's that's where he's proud of, and that's fine. But guess what? The majority of them are all old hair. They're all old people. You know? And the problem is there is no formation. To me, the strong points are not the kids. The kids are not the strong point. The strong point should be those who should be mature in their faith. It should be the adults. The kids should reflect what the how 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 the faith of the adults should be, because the kids don't organize everything. The kids don't put all the stuff together. The kids don't go put their catechism class together. When your focus is on the catechesis, and that is important, the problem is is the fact that it's not the fact that the uh, that their faith is not strong because you don't see any strength in the adults that's where the strength lies if there's a strong healthy adult formation i think you'll see a strong healthy uh formation among the among the the children the catechesis has to be in the adults. That's where the key is. Do they believe? Do they pray? Do they have a strong uh, foundation in Christ? That's where the that's where the key lies. It's always going to be where the key lies. The kids, like I say, you know, what was that that saying of? Uh, a family that prays together stays together. A parish that prays together stays together. That's what I believe. Unfortunately, um, I think the present day um, Catholic parish is been gobbled up by the by the culture around them. Our pastors are afraid of preaching. They don't talk about uh, conversion. They don't talk about abortion. They don't want to talk about abortion. They don't want to talk about gay marriage. All right. With the situation with Father Frank Pavone, it proves it. One of the canon lawyers said to him, and he said this, I think, in maybe more than one podcast and more than one YouTube channel, warned him that they will come after him. And because the bishops do not like what they can't control. And also, um, in reality, they don't really want, they don't, look, the Catholic Church can continue to believe that abortion is evil. The Catholic Church then can continue to say that um, same-sex marriage is wrong. This Catholic Church can continue to say that Birth control is wrong. Okay? The Catholic Church can continue to say and believe and teach that euthanasia is wrong. All these things, the church can continue to believe it. But they will never teach it from the pulpit. 
They'll never, you'll never, they'll, you'll, they'll never let a priest preach from the pulpit about it. Why? Because they, they don't believe. They don't believe that this is that this is something they're going to teach. Their two, their, their main, their main goal is money. There's no money in it. There's no security in it. They don't care if it's evil. They don't care if it's a lie. What they care about is keeping the parish doors open, having new people that put in money in the basket. That is what they care about. They don't care about all the other all the all the other stuff means nothing to them. You know, you're never going to preach it from the pulpit. You're never going to say gay marriage is evil from the pulpit. You'll never say anything about birth control from the pulpit. You'll never condemn a politician that supports abortion, uh, supports gay marriage, um, supports uh, euthanasia. You'll never get a cat. You'll never get that because they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. It's sad, but it's true. You know, they don't... There are good conservative priests out there. I mean, Father Pavone said a lot of priests were afraid of joining priests for life because they're afraid of their bishop. Now, imagine that, afraid of your bishop. You're not supposed to be afraid of your bishop. What does that say to you? Imagine that. Because they're afraid of the public reaction. They're afraid of, of I mean, yeah, they're, a lot of priests are afraid of parishioners. All right? They're afraid of, of parishioners complaining and writing to their bishops, complaining, and maybe even false accusations. They're, look, liberals, liberals, really radical liberals, dishonest ones, Lying is 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 a virtue, a weapon. False accusation is a weapon, and worth it to win. Because they don't believe reality, as as it as it should be. They don't believe that there's truth. What they believe is in freedom. Freedom without guilt. Committing sin without guilt. Sin is just part of life. They don't care. They don't care about right or wrong. They don't care about that. There's no such thing as right or wrong. Okay? We live in a postmodern culture. A postmodern culture does not believe, all right, that there's any truth. It's what, what Pope Benedict XVI called relativism. In a, the culture of relativism. It's basically truth can be whatever you want it. You know, what's wrong, evil a generation ago is, is a necessity now, right? It's a necessity now. You know, uh, it's important now. Uh, what was immoral 
at one time is acceptable. Uh, there's no truth. There's no absolute truth. There's no, uh, there's no real, there's no, you know, evil is relative. It's whatever you, you know, it, it may, it may be culturally evil one day and that's a problem, right? Because technically what the problem with it is like, I'm going to try the best I can to explain it. Let's put it this way. They, they will use oppression. They will use oppression. They will uh, use, like, say, unfortunately, um, the disenfranchised or the disen, the the ignored or the oppressed, like African Americans, racism. And they will use that as a means for political, uh, to uh, as a cause, not because they believe in the cause. The truth is, they don't believe in 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 equality for blacks or Hispanics, or equality for women. The main purpose of this is to gain power. Because if that's true, why hasn't uh, you know why are we still talking about it? How many generations has it been? Right? We've had the first black president. That doesn't seem to make a difference. We've had uh, the first black uh, Supreme Court judge. That didn't make the difference. We've had generals that have made it to become uh, black men, African-American men have made it, uh, and women have made it to to, to situations uh, in government, uh, attorney generals, and we've had them as, as, as judges. We've had them as... As doctors, we've had them in military command leadership. That doesn't seem to make a difference. Racism is still an issue. Racism is a, is a, is 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 a public health issue. You see what I'm saying? They keep coming up with these these unbelievable. And I'm 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 Middle Eastern. I'm not by any means white. Even though there are some people who probably want to accuse me that I think of myself that. I don't think of myself as that. I don't think of it at all. All right. My name reminds me of the fact that I'm a Middle Easterner. There are a lot of people that even still think I'm a Muslim. <clears throat> so I don't, you know, it, it's not a big deal to me because I really don't care. Because I, I really, <clears throat> honestly, racism to me is not a big deal. It's just, you know, it's, it's just a, a little, an impediment I look at it. All right. I don't see white supremacists everywhere. I don't see conservatives as white supremacists. I hear now the term Christian nationalist. That's a new thing now. All that is a distraction. All that is a distraction for them to gain power. The real danger is is the 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 neocultural Marxists, and a lot of them are elite people. Elite people. All right. This is what I look at it. You know how you see people, they say that uh, they like to, like the left likes to throw Nazi, Nazi, or they they compare, they say things like, this is a thing, like Joe Biden calls um, uh, uh, homophobia, transphobia is equal to racism and anti-Semitism. You see what he's done right there? He basically 
camouflage. He basically covered up uh, homosexuality and he called it a phobia and he blocked any attack of it by putting racism and anti-Semitism. But not too long after 9-11, there's a video out there with Joe Biden saying that marriage is only between a man and a woman. He even says, I can't believe we're, st- we're talking about this that, this, that this is actually a thing. Now look, several 20 years later, what has he done? He performs the first gay marriage in the White House. And then he says, then he passes a bill. A marriage Equality Act. Okay, and then he said, then he then he puts in front of it of uh, the racism of. Uh, he he puts in front of it the um, I'm sorry. Uh, he puts in front of it anti-Semitism and racism. And he and he puts the hatred of it, what he calls hatred of it, he calls or people who are against it, he he tries to shame them. What he's doing is he's basically catering, speaking to the converted. Joe Biden doesn't doesn't care about gay marriage. He doesn't care about black people. He's a racist himself. He's practically a white supremacist. Joe Biden has publicly Lied. We can say he's a liar because he has publicly lied. He's lied about his career. He's lied about his his education. He's lied about his 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 family. I mean, once somebody the other day said he's lied about himself being Irish. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it, you gotta you can pick on a man if when you know that he publicly has misinformed people, that he's publicly lied. That's why we can say these things about Joe Biden because they are public lies. And the problem is, is our bishops, the reason why the bishops are in bed with the Democrats is because of the money, the tax money. Sadly, yes, there are good bishops out there. There are good Catholics out there. There are good people out there in the Catholic Church. The problem is, is that it, they're suppressed. It's no different than it was in the days of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the days of Jesus Christ, they, 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 the people can go on believing, just like Catholics can go on believing that, that homosexuality is a sin. The church's teachings are, are, are clear about it. It is a sin. The, the, the subject matter of, um, hope, of uh, homophobia and uh, what do you, all these things, they're going. The, the church is the church against being abortion. The church against contraception. The church against gay marriage. That's fine. The church's official teachings will remain the official church teachings, but you, you, the bishop, the cardinal, the priest, the 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 monsignor, the deacon, you will not preach it. You will never preach it from the pulpit, and if you do. We will crush you. They don't care. They don't care. And and that's a fact. They don't care. This is why 
we're going, this is why I, for me, I will never find, as long as I live up here, I don't even know if I'll go Midwest, if I'll find it. But here in New York City, I I am um, a parish orphan. I don't have a home parish. I will go continue to go to Regina Pachi, but I don't have a home, and I I will never find. I will never have the kind of community I want. I have only one or two friends within the Catholic faith, but I will never have the kind of community I need the kind of friendships I need. It will never happen. It will never take place, sadly. All right, I, I was intending it to be something else, but uh, it is what it is, right? <laughs> All right, we'll end it here, and I'll get back with something else. God bless. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.